Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jared Pickney. And in honor of April being the National Child Abuse Prevention Month, we thought it'd be great to have Amanda Frankenberger on with Jimmy Biggs. Amanda serves as the Executive Director of the Children's Advocacy Center in Northeast Arkansas, and Jeremy serves as the Executive Director of CASA. And so, Amanda, Jeremy, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I was looking over some of the stats that you emailed me, uh, Jeremy, and I was blown away by some of the numbers. So um, more than 30,000 reports of child abuse and neglect were made last year in Arkansas. Is that right? That is correct. Just over 34,000 total reports. 34,000. Okay, over 34,000 total reports. And then currently there's 4,714 children in foster care in Arkansas, which is an increase of 9% compared to March of 2020. Yes. Yes, that is correct. Why do you, um, this is for both of y'all, why are we seeing such an increase, do you think, in some of these numbers? I think the pandemic has had quite a bit to do with an increase. Last year, 2020, we saw a record number of children in our center. Um, We saw 100 more children at the end of 2020 than we did 2019. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with um, kids being at home more with their caregiver that could mm-hmm. be an abuse caregiver. Um, and I think you add stress of parents either being out of a job. Um, I learned the difficulties of having to either do virtual school. Um, I learned I'm not a fourth grade math teacher, <laughs> and I learned the frustration and stress of that. Mm-hmm. Um you're just having to juggle workloads along with school. And I also think um, parents having the added stress of that. And I think when you add all of that in with maybe the loss of a job or, you know, maybe the parents have a job and maybe that they have to make ends meet or they can't make ends meet. And I think added stress of that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, to add on top of everything Amanda mentioned, it's, Number one, really root cause of why a child enters foster care that we see or is abused um, either sexually or physically that Amanda sees at the CAC is uh, drug or alcohol addiction issues. So uh, that becomes an outlet for many of us. And, you know, many of our neighbors right here in this community struggle with those types of addiction issues and finding appropriate outlets. Uh, And unfortunately, um, in some cases, kids become those outlets uh, for them to get their frustrations out. So whether it's the drug or alcohol addiction problems that an individual faces, mom or dad, or if they're dealing with some mental illness um, issues that are going untreated, uh, those are also some leading causes to why children end up being physically or sexually abused. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to get into um, talking a little bit about how your organizations are, are trying to come alongside these kids and help serve them and their families. And so, Amanda, I wanted to start with you because uh, you are executive director at the CAC. And from what I understand, you kind of do a lot of the front end work um, as far as examinations go, investigation um, around, you know, gathering evidence in these abuse cases. And so can you tell me exactly what is the CAC? um, What are you guys doing? How are you offering services to these victims uh, to child abuse? 
Yes, so our center, we're located in Jonesboro, and we cover all of Northeast Arkansas. We cover seven counties, Green, Clay, Mississippi, Craighead, Poinsett, Randolph, and Lawrence. And anytime a report of severe child maltreatment would come into the child abuse hotline, which we're talking severe physical abuse or childhood sexual abuse um, on any kid under the age of 18. So our Child Advocacy Center, we're a child-friendly environment, and I house forensic interviewing, um, advocates, um, sexual assault nurse examiners, Mm -hmm. and um, mental health providers as well. So a child will come in for their interview, and those interviews are observed by anyone handling that case, and it can be anyone um, from law enforcement to there's a division that will hand a special division that will handle those child abuse hotline reports. They're called the Crimes Against Children Division, and they will either conduct those interviews or observe those interviews as well. And we also work closely with our prosecutors too, and so. All these children that will come through our center, all these services are free, and Mm. we will stay with these kids until either cases are closed or they reach prosecution. So walk me through kind of on the ground level. If you receive a call that there's possibly been a child who's been physically or sexually abused or neglected, what does that process look like from kind of start to typically finish for y'all okay so once a report has been accepted for investigation um the investigator will get it and that investigator will normally most likely lay eyes on that child within 24 hours and then they will schedule a interview and with at our center and we will bring the family in and then that child will be interviewed as quickly as possible and the advocate will greet our family and um, sometimes it'll be a team decision on whether that child will need a medical service, medical services or not. Some kids do need a medical, some kids don't. And then um, the interview is observed. And then our advocates will also stay in contact with our family up until, you know, the day after, a week, three months, six months, and up until if the case is prosecuted or not. Okay. And from what I'm gathering from what you're saying with the CEC is... You know, if, if a child has been abused, obviously that's already an incredibly overwhelming and high stressful situation. And uh, rather than the child having to figure because there's a lot of moving parts, right, to yes. when there's abuse. And so, like, rather than the child or the family trying to figure out where do we go next and what do we do, you guys kind of are like a, a one-stop shop. That's Is right. Is that right? Yep. And our advocate, they're guiding the family through this entire process and kind of gathering the family and telling them and making sure that family has every resource that they need. The most important thing is that that child has a good supportive caregiver. And we will also offer um, mental health services as well. If that child is not um, currently with a mental health provider, um, we will make sure that that child is getting um, some trauma-focused therapy as well. That's excellent. How have you, you talk about the trauma-focused therapy, um, how do we, or are we even, I guess, aware of how abuse or the trauma from abuse is impacting kids long term? Like, do we know at this point what an impact it has in their life? As long as we can get that child some help as quickly as possible, that's mm-hmm. the main thing. Mm-hmm. And then make sure that they're 
um, getting that trauma addressed and getting that child um, some really good coping skills that way that they know their triggers and um, make sure that they can get the help that they need on the front end. Um, They've got a really good chance of healing and making sure by the time, let's say, that case does get to prosecution, um, if they have to testify, they can get up on that stand and say what had happened to them and not face any kind of like major breakdown, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. As a pastor, I've realized just working with our own church, how many adults will come forward and say at some point in their life they were physically or sexually abused, and they never even talked about it, and they're 35, 40, 50, 60 years old, and as a result, I mean, they've, there's a book, I can't remember the author, Bill, you might have to Google it, but it's called The Body Keeps the Score, and um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it just talks about how even when you're an infant, like, if you're not cognitively aware of the trauma that you've experienced, your body still keeps that and internalizes that and if you don't learn to deal with it in a healthy way like it's going to deal with you like it's going to come out like the whole idea of this this you know research is that like your body's going to get what your body needs at some point and sometimes it's because of trauma going to begin to look for those things in unhealthy ways and so i love that y'all are trying to you know recognize that and you're saying like hey like there's hope like and we're going to try to address this on the front end you know not like sweep under the rug but like hey there's a real need here and we're going to we can to come alongside and try to help um, bring healing and so um what on on a typical week or month you know amanda how many kids may come through i want to think since january we've probably already seen 85 children it's a lot that's a lot yeah and amanda's at the cac she they deal with the kids that suffer the most extreme abuse in most cases yes uh, so you know, kids that are being neglected, educational neglect or environmental neglect and might be removed from the home because there's 42 cats and dogs in the house yeah. and it's not safe for a child to live in, they're not going to CAC. These are children that have really experienced serious trauma that needs delicate attention, but it needs attention, like she mm-hmm. said. Uh, and we can't just ignore that because that just prolongs the problem and amplifies the problem that these children are going to face for years down the road. Oh, absolutely. How... You don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I'm just interested. Uh, yeah, how did you get into this work? And this is a good question for you too, Jeremy. And and I'd like for you to answer after Amanda. But how did you get into this work, and how do you think it's impacted you seeing these kids? Because it's one thing to see the numbers, right? Like that doesn't that'll move your heart a little bit, a little bit when you see the numbers. But then, like when you put a face with it, like. I would just imagine that does a lot more to you emotionally. And so, yeah, how did you maybe get into this work? And then now that you've been in it, what's, how's it maybe changed your perspective? And how do you think it's impacted you? Well, I've been in social work field since. I'm always like, what year is this? <laughs> Don't give away your yeah. age here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Since 2005, I think. Yes, and then I used to work with Jeremy at the CASA program, Mm -hmm. and I think he's glad he got rid of me. (laughs) But no, I will say, he he prepped me very well for this role, and I've been the director at the CAC for about three years, and... And I think it just being in this role, it really changes your perspective on how I raise my daughter, and and she's going to hate me when she's (laughs) dating, when she starts dating, (laughs) 
bless her. <laughs> but, and I also really also teach her to um, just be aware of other children and just to always make sure she is the kind child mm-hmm. and just to be, if you see somebody alone, you make sure you are kind and inviting to them and just to always make sure that you don't leave anybody out and just always be kind to everybody. Um, I also teach her very much about body safety education, and that's another program service that we offer at the center too. What do you mean by body safety education? Um, we also do community education. And so I have a prevention person who goes into the schools and she teaches body safety and it talks about she talks to children preschool through sixth grade and it talks about five safe adults and trusted adults and it she also talks to children about safe areas on your body Mm -hmm. and what to do if somebody starts making you feel uncomfortable and um, what to do if somebody and who do you tell if somebody starts to make you feel uncomfortable and if somebody starts touching you in areas mm-hmm. that make you feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. what do you do? And, and when do they start having these conversations? At what age? Um, I started having these conversations with my daughter when she was four. Yeah, that's good. Yes, and she's 10 now, and we have these conversations all the time. She's like, I know, Mom, you tell me that all the time. And I was like, and I'm going to keep telling you. Absolutely. And so, and really just being in this role, also, it just re- it just solidifies She's never getting a cell phone either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, yeah. How old is your How old is your daughter or kids? Fourteen. Okay. Wow. Y'all do the cell phone? Oh yes. See, that's what that's what I hear. How old is your kids, man? Ten. Okay. So you have a ten year old. Yes. And see, that's what I hear is uh, every parent who's been educated on tech and the dangers of it is like, I'm never gonna let my kid have a cell phone Wait. ever, ever, ever. And then the kids get the teenage years, and you're like, they just wear you down, man. We held out until after she was 11 so y'all do like good luck over the next year (laughs) y'all have any rules like cell phones and like not in the bedroom or anything like that or is it just like nothing like that i'll i'll brag about my daughter because she'll probably listen to this and roll her eyes and (laughs) (laughs) she's uh wonderful and we've never had to really worry about her Uh, but we've like amanda's been talking about just have honest conversations yes that's huge set the expectations um very clearly and she follows she follows them well and yeah like i said that's so important you know we when we have these obviously you guys came on to talk about what you do but i I like always like like we said before these are gonna be conversations and go wherever they may and i know we didn't plan on where we were going but you talk about those honest conversations like i just want to say like that is so incredibly important because and and talking to your children about sexuality early on because i think First off, I don't even, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I, my parents gave me a sex talk and I blocked it out. I don't remember. <laughs> but you will talk to parents. It's like, yeah, I'm planning to have the talk when they're 14 or 15 or whatever. And you're just like, that is a, that is way too late. Like way too late. We were talking with our, I think I'm talking about our kids pastor early. We were talking in the day and he was saying some of the research he just saw was like, by like no later than second grade, you need to be having the conversation, you yes. know? And so, and that's, I think that's changed. I think oh, yeah. since the, we were the world in school, is different. Yes, yeah. you know they're exposed to so much right. more. Right. So, um, yeah, that's really helpful, Amanda. Jeremy, I'd like to hear you talk about um, just your involvement with Casa. Uh, how did you get involved in it? What exactly is Casa? What do you guys do? How are you serving the children who have been victims of abuse? 
Well, I'll go way back. Because <laughs> you didn't say we have a time limit. We so don't have a time limit. Everybody go get a fresh cup of coffee. but uh, <laughs> Except for Amanda, get your bang. I guess uh, how I got into the nonprofit industry goes way back uh, about 12 years ago. I got a phone call from... Uh, Jamie Collins and with Mission Outreach in Northeast Arkansas and said, hey, why don't you come over and talk about coming to work here and raising some money. So I didn't know anything about it. It's, I was born in Paragold, raised in Paragold. It's been in Paragold since 1982. I didn't know much about it. Went over there, kind of really fell in love with it and started there in my track in the nonprofit industry. And uh, had a blast and got to meet some wonderful people and hopefully play a small part in changing a few lives there at Mission Outreach and loved every bit of it. And nonprofit work is really rewarding, even though you don't really, in my position, I'm not as hands-on as some other people. So, But we still get to see the happy moments and the happy endings. What was most rewarding about your time at the mission? Uh. <clears throat> Or I mean, what we're seeing some of the lessons. You know, uh, it's the people that came in. A couple examples. Uh, a gentleman showed up, um, and his daughter dropped him off in the parking lot with a suitcase and hit the road and left and was from about 400 miles from here and <clears throat> wasn't in a very good mental state, uh, wasn't very comfortable being around people and going through a lot of difficult times and uh, we just worked with him and uh, helped him get some identification. Didn't even have a driver's license, birth certificate, and the basics, you know, that you have to have to get anything in this world. So started from the very ground up, and he ended up getting a great job, uh, moved up, became a supervisor, and then ended up being a property wow. manager. And uh, just That's incredible, wonderful. He um, managed the property of Mission Outreach. At nighttime cool. and on the weekends, like took ownership and leadership and just grew so much in about 12 to 18 months. And just, it was wonderful to watch a fellow adult mm-hmm. uh, human being uh, to really transition right before your eyes. And mm-hmm. you got to play small little parts in that. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. It was fun to, to change those lives. Yeah. And how long were you at Mission? Uh, a little over seven years. Okay. And then. Uh, funny story, uh, we were at a, a <laughs> chamber, a chamber of commerce uh, luncheon or a lunch on the lawn that yes. they have, and I went through and got my barbecue sandwich and loaded it up and was going to sit down. It was a beautiful day, like seventy-five degrees outside, <laughs> and just enjoy. And I saw Amanda and Jeremy Heath, and they had a couple open seats, so I sat down, and lo and behold, you know, Amanda was at Casa for. Seven or how long were you there? Eight years? About seven. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this was back in 2016, and she was like, hey, nice. Casa's looking for a new director. Could could we interest you in that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, this, this, this came out of nowhere. So. And he was like, don't you want to apply? And I said, no. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't know how to take it, and I was like, well, I know, like, I've heard of Casa. I know Casa. I've heard her talk about Casa. I'm like Amanda was Casa in in Paragold. So, mm. but she think twisted my arm enough, I guess, and I ended up being blessed to be chosen to take over as executive director as the previous director left the country uh, <laughs> with her uh, family pursuing other 
uh, options outside of the country, uh, but it's been amazing. And again, it's the people. So that's why I think that's why we're both involved with nonprofits. Uh, And particularly this one is fun because you get to change lives of children that are newborn to 21 years of age. Mm. So wide range of kids with a wide range of problems and hurdles they're trying to jump over in their life. And again, I'm, I'm not directly impacting their lives. I'm not the hands-on person, but wow, do we have some wonderful staff members and some amazing volunteer advocates that do that hands-on work and actually do change a child's story. And what is that hands-on work? Explain that to me. How does CASA work? So as a a CASA advocate, everybody is required to undergo uh, 22 hours of pre-service training. And this is taught uh, through National CASA curriculum that they developed and they've uh, she's Amanda's actually a master certified trainer of the National CASA curriculum that we wow. still teach. Um, but we teach that. So we, if you came to us and you put in an application, and then we actually we do a formal interview with every new advocate. To, mm-hmm. It's like a job interview, but we want you to know exactly what you're getting into. We kind of joke around and say we try to scare you off from being a volunteer at that interview. Yeah. So sure. uh, we're very honest. We know we want you to know that you're getting into some very difficult situations and you're getting involved in the lives of families and children in a sometimes not the most comfortable ways. Um, but the service provide or the pre-service training provides a really great foundation of knowledge of the child welfare system and some of the legal system. So our advocates do not have to have a legal background or any expertise in that. We're everyday individuals uh, of all kinds of professions and backgrounds. Um, all kinds of ages. As long as you're 21 years of age, we have we have a 22 year old advocate right now, and uh, some advocates that are in their late 70s. So, uh, we're welcoming to anybody that wants to impact and make a positive change in the life of a child. But when they get uh, through training, they take an oath by a circuit judge, and they're sworn in as an officer of the court. We then assign them a case to uh, children involved in DCFS and DHS court, and typically. Uh, an advocate will spend about eight to 10 hours a month of their time volunteering or working their case. Hmm. And that might include activities such as visiting with the child or the children that you're assigned to, because you get the whole sibling set when you're assigned to a case. So if there's three sisters and two brothers, you got all five kids. And typically if they're visiting those kids, are they in foster care? Yes. So anybody that we deal with, uh, the children have been removed from the home and are in foster care. And uh, that includes so visiting with the child, getting to know the child, uh, getting to know, get, build that trust between you and the child, uh, visiting with uh, biological parents, mom and dad. Hey, what, what mistakes did you make and how can we not make those mistakes? Mm-hmm. What resources do you need to, to get these kids back? Let's work the case plan, follow the court orders. We're here to support you. Mm-hmm. We meet with aunts, uncles, grandparents, grandmas, uh, school teachers, soccer coaches, baseball coaches, uh, neighbors, um, anybody that might have some good insight on that life of that child uh, to what that child needs. Um, Then we meet with foster parents, and we work uh, closely with DCFS caseworkers and supervisors, as well as attorney ad litems, parent council attorneys, uh, other court personnel. So you're... As a CASA advocate, you're really thrown right into the middle of the fire, uh, and you have full access to all of those parties, all of the information involved in that child and that family's life, because we want to uh, 
make ultimately make great recommendations uh, of what the child needs, what the child's desires are and what their wants are, where they want to live at, uh, if they're struggling in school or if they need new glasses or clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want to recommend that to the court, present that in a form of a court report full of facts so that a judge can make a well-educated decision. And so if I'm an advocate or if I decide to be an advocate for, for cost, so I'm going to go through, you said 20 hours that you said of training? 22 hours. 22 hours of, okay, of training. And then once I go through that, you would place me with a, a child or their siblings who's in foster care who have been abuse victims, whether it's physical or sexual mm-hmm. abuse. Or, or neglect. It could be neglect. Or, neglect. or it okay. could be human trafficking victims. Yeah. Or, and then what are they doing with these when you're talking about like they're kind of interacting with them? Is it just like are they playing games with them? Are they like are they asking question <clears throat> asking questions to the kids? What exactly does that look like? So I'm asking if you don't think about someone's listening to this and they're interested and like, oh, there's no way I'm qualified to sure. do something so, like that. What does that look like? So your kids have friends, right? Mm-hmm. So and sometimes you're around your kids' friends or they come over to your house or y'all go to a birthday party or something. You just get to know the kids and get to know what their needs are like mm-hmm. you would like your your own children's friends mm-hmm. and just say, hey, you know, how's school going? Do you, are you doing good math? Well, why not? Well, why don't you like this teacher? Well, what's great about this teacher? Yeah. Do you want to go live with your grandma? Do you want to live with your aunt and uncle? Well, why not? Why don't you want to live there? So you just ask questions and you get to know what they need, what's missing in their lives. So that way you can stand up Yeah. because children can't stand up for themselves in court. So they need somebody there that knows everything, every little detail about their life because the sad reality is DCFS caseworkers are overworked. Their, their caseload is the average caseload's over 24 uh, per caseworker. So it's hard for them to pay that much attention to every mm-hmm. child in care. Mm-hmm. So the benefit of a child being assigned to CASA is they have that one person there that's focused just, just on, on them. them in their case. So that way they can let the judge know exactly what they do need. How many advocates do you all have right now in this? Uh, in Greene County right now we have 29 advocates. How many do you need? We need about 29 more advocates. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're serving 57% of children in care. Wow. There's, about, there's just over 130 children in foster care yesterday in Greene County. What was that number again? Well, I think it was 132 was the total number yesterday. You're going to need another staff person. <laughs> yes. Are you applying? Bill? I don't know if he'd have, have me back. Well, sure. <laughs> sure. What would you, I asked Amanda this question, what, what's your uh, takeaway, Jeremy, from working with these children? Because um, I'm assuming you grew up somewhat like me. I mean, you're, you know, when you grow up in a, in a, you know, middle class, nice, you know, home, whatever. I mean, not that there's not abuse in middle class, upper class, any of that kind of stuff. But sometimes you can be sheltered when you grow up kind of in your little bubble. Um, I was. And oh. I honestly just, I love Paragool. There's a lot of great things about Paragool. But I just, just was never around some of this brokenness that is here. And I think it's easy for us to just turn a blind eye to that and be like, eh, it's someone else's problem. Um, and I'm just interested, like now that you've been in it, like, what are some of the things that you've learned um, that you maybe didn't know as someone right. who grew up in the city but wasn't even aware of it? Oh, th- those are great points. And, yes, uh, very sheltered. And <clears throat> even through college, didn't really, you know, even give a second thought sure. to those who might be struggling. But it's 
you know, I tell people that these children that we are blessed to work with, are, they're not different than any other children. They're all the same. They all just want to have fun. They want to learn. They want to be loved. They want to have great friendships with kids their age. They want to have great relationships with adults, healthy relationships. So it should be on the top, a top priority for all of us to, to step in and find a place where we can make that a reality for every child. Every child deserves to be loved. So any child that's abused, neglected, that's um, not their fault. It's never their fault. Mm. It's, it's that adult it's that parent or their guardian that that's the blame it's not the child so don't treat them as somebody that's different or oh my gosh they're you know they're broken goods or anything like that no these are just children they're all the same so we try to get that message across from the very beginning of training it's like hey look you got to jump in and you got to be you're not we don't want you to be afraid to create that relationship. We want you to become friends with these children because they need somebody there in their life that's there for them hmm. and that cares about them, or they wouldn't be in foster care. Hmm. If they had a support network there, whether it be extended family or fictive kin or some other relationship, they wouldn't be coming into the care of the state of Arkansas. So we need wonderful, more wonderful volunteers like we already, like we have on our team, but we need to add to it. We need those kind-hearted individuals in these communities we serve to step up and say, hey, you know what? I can show a kid that I care. Like, I can be a friend of a eight-year-old. That's not a problem. Mm. We can all do it. And you don't have to be a genius or a legal scholar mm -hmm. or anything, you know, mm -hmm. to make a difference. It's just being there and showing that child that somebody cares about them. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, presence is so underrated. You know, right. just being a, a loving presence in someone's life. I and mean, we talk about it a lot here of just in our country in general, there's a loneliness epidemic. Like whether you've been abused or not, like people are lonelier than ever. And especially I would imagine if you've gone through abuse or neglect, right? I mean, that's like you're talking about lonely. There's nothing I can imagine more lonely than that. And so um, that's a good word, man, of just showing up and just being like a regular a loving, right. just regular presence in someone's life. You don't have to have the right words to say. Just, you don't have to be, like you said, a scholar or whatever. Yeah, these these kids, um, I was just writing a grant, so this is a weird stat to throw out there, but uh, in 2019 in uh, foster care in the state of Arkansas, the average child that was in foster care for more than 12 months, which the average length of care in state is 16 months in Arkansas. Hmm. So let that sink in. Hmm. Child's removed from their home. And doesn't find permanency for 16 months on average. Why do you think that is? <clears throat> uh, do you want to talk about the legal system? <laughs> no. Okay. You can't see my face right now. <laughs> so the legal system is not fast. Well, COVID has, I think, halted our legal system mm -hmm. over the past year. Whether, you know, we're not having court system you know our court hearings um like we have been um i call the court system hurry up and wait um you know whether if it's delays or things being pushed back or uh, it's just you know you know the the system's not perfect it's not and that's never our goal is to fix the system. It's just we work within the boundaries of yeah, the system. Yeah, you do what you can do. Yep. That you know, that we we play within the rules of the game and yeah. If they want to change the rules, then 
maybe somebody smarter than us can figure that out to change it and make them better. But mm-hmm. right now, that's what we got. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, but you were saying though they were in for sixteen months. Average then, length, yeah. Average length of stay is sixteen months in Arkansas. But um, those kids experience six point one four different placements. That's terrible. While they're in care, so that means that these kids are packing up a suitcase or a trash bag or a duffel bag with their belongings, which might be, you know, they might have got one stuffed animal and five changes of clothes out of their house when they were removed, and um, they're packing all they've got and they're moving to a a different house, either across town in Paragold, or they're moving to Fort Smith, or they're moving to Hot Springs. Why are they being bounced around so much? Uh, Most of the time, it it becomes to be behavioral issues or some mental health needs. uh, So the family is like, that maybe has them, is like, we can't do this. Correct. Or either some, or just medical necessities, medical needs, uh, that they end up being moved. Or they might have been... They might have came into care from St. Francis County, but Greene County had open foster beds, so the child was placed in Paragold with a foster family. Well, then maybe when a foster home comes open, that makes sense for them to move back to their school district that they were taken out of. They might be placed back in that county. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. But long story short, what I was trying to get to was the benefit of having a CASA advocate assigned to that child is that even though they're moved and they live in six different homes in 12 months, you know who that one person there that's always there to see yeah. them two or three or four times a month mm. is the CASA advocate. Mm. So they have consistency. That trust is developed and it's built and it's valued by mm. the court as well. So the judges know that um, the facts and the, the court report that we present is full of great information um, and it's provided by somebody that has detailed knowledge of the life of that child mm. uh, and we're making recommendations of what the child needs what's in their best interest that's good i'd like to in just a minute amanda ask you how people can get involved with cc but if someone is interested in becoming an advocate uh jimmy and they're listening to this what's the next step for them uh the easiest way is to visit our website it's neacasa.org neacasa.org and click on the volunteer tab You'll fill out an application right there, and we'll be in touch with you in 24 hours. And we'll set up the interview and answer any and every question you've got about becoming an advocate and joining our team of wonderful people. Um, and then we'll get you set up with the next training class and uh, move forward from there. But uh, <clears throat> I say all the time you're, you're joining one big family at CASA when you come on. Right now we have 96 active advocates across the 2nd Judicial District, so... We are a huge family of 100 people, and we need a, we need about 40 or 50 more advocates to be able to serve 100% of children in foster care wow. in our in our corner of the state, which would be uh, huge to say. So if we could get to 100% for, for about three months last year, we were serving every child in foster care in mm-hmm. Craighead County. So we would love to, in about 12 months from here, say we're serving all 132 kids in foster care in Greene County right now. They all have an advocate. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. Excellent. What about for you, Amanda? How can people get involved with the Children's Advocacy Center? There's a lot of things that individuals can do. We're a little bit different regarding volunteers because we have so many children and families in our center all the time. But if individuals are wanting to help out and donate, 
Um, there's a lot of things that they can do to donate to our center. Um, a lot of families struggle to get to our center just due to um, distance. So we do help out financially with gas cards. Um, we do provide $10 gas cards, and we're always taking donations for gas cards. And children are always provided um, a stuffed animal. And we also take donations for new stuffed animals, too. And if children receive medical services, they get a blanket um, during their medical exam. And then, um, Hmm. so we take donations for new blankets Hmm. as well. And water bottles, snacks, juices, because we feed our kiddos too. Hmm. Sometimes they're there a long time. And so, you know, we'll feed our families as well. If people want to make a donation, how would they do that? They can visit our website. It's neacac.net. And our phone number's on our website, and I can always come pick up a donation as well. <laughs> yeah, we're, <laughs> you we're always happy to do We'll that. come yes. to you. <laughs> yeah, we will, absolutely, we will come to you. Um, just, you know, the nonprofit director, we have many different hats that we wear, and picking up donations is one of them, so... One of the, one of my favorites. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, just want to throw this out here since it's Child Abuse uh, Prevention Month. Yes. So if you do, uh, are you're suspicious of child abuse that may be taking place that you've witnessed, uh, and you think it needs some more attention? So please call the Child Abuse um, and Maltreatment Hotline in Arkansas. It's one eight hundred four eight two five nine six four. That's one eight hundred four eight two five nine six four and we'll be sure and put that in the uh show notes as well that way people will have access and you can see that there i'm surprised you don't have that memorized i don't that's a lot of numbers <laughs> or it's one eight four four save a child there you go save there you go better. that's good look at that what a team yeah and you, you we you're, do well you're both doing uh, very important very meaningful work and so thank you for what you do i know you said it's very rewarding but i'm it sure is. also it can be difficult at times and so thank you for um yeah just continuing to show up and continuing to use your personality your gifts your resources your energy in order to serve a kind of um i think a group that can easily be forgotten that is in definite need of an advocate and so um, hopefully we can have you all on again sometime soon anytime so. right maybe a year from now we'll be celebrating that every child has an advocate next April and child abuse yeah. is down 9% that's right so. man we'll have yeah. you back on I would love to work myself out of a job but Me I don't too. know <laughs> I don't know if that would happen not sure it's happening yeah well but. thank you guys so much appreciate thank it thank you all right well that was Jeremy and Amanda Jeremy and Amanda thank you so much and uh, to those at CASA and the Children's Advocacy Center um, we are greatly appreciative of all the work that you are doing in our city and our region um, with the children who have been abused and um, I just want to say to those if you're still listening to um, take a moment and just pause and reflect on what was said reflect on this need and um, seriously consider ways that you can support these uh, two organizations who are doing such an incredible and needed work and if you are still listening to this, I want to encourage you as always to give us a like, a uh, five-star review on iTunes if you can. It'll just help people to find us quicker and learn more about the people who are living in our city. Um, also, we're on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We have a website, parablepodcast.com. You can also subscribe to our email. And if you've not done so, I would encourage you to do that. So as always, thanks again for listening. And until next time.